1: This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, Fort Collins City Council recently made a house on Cherry Street, the city's first landmark specifically tied to the city's Black history.
2: Mr. Thomas's house really made me feel like we are supposed to be here. We were meant to be here.
1: Coming up, we explore the history of Virgil Thomas's home and the recognition of the city's diverse past. That and more coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Election Day is just under a week away, and more than 470,000 ballots have been returned so far, according to the Secretary of State's office. Of those, about 34% are from unaffiliated voters, 33% from Republicans, and 31% from Democrats. In the lead-up to November 2nd, we've been looking at the three statewide questions on this year's ballot. Today, we're taking a deep dive into Amendment 78. Colorado Republicans spent the last legislative session trying to strip Governor Jared Polis of the broad emergency powers that he's used to lead the state through the COVID-19 pandemic. But with Democrats in control at the state house, the effort didn't gain traction. Now conservatives are hoping voters will approve Amendment 78, a plan to make the executive branch a little less powerful. KUNC's Scott Franz has more.
3: Last spring, with a stroke of a pen and a late-night email, Governor Jared Polis announced his plan to spend a billion dollars of coronavirus relief funding on public schools. Republicans were enraged, as were some Democrats, who felt they should have a say in things. Backers of Amendment 78 still haven't gotten over it.
4: Just having that ability to spend that much money, a billion dollars, Uh, Without that normal process, I think we give anybody pause.
3: Michael Fields is a conservative activist and author of the ballot measure.
4: And think about, you know, you might agree with this governor. What do you think about the next governor having that
3: power? Governors can legally spend emergency money like COVID relief without any input from state lawmakers, who typically only meet for four months out of the year. They're called custodial funds. Amendment 78 would change the state constitution, to require lawmakers to sign off on how every penny is spent.
4: So that means there's a public hearing, there are multiple legislators from around the state being involved in that process.
3: You do not want these funds tied up in partisan bickering at the state legislature. But Scott Wasserman thinks it would lead to bad spending decisions. He leads a liberal-leaning financial research group in Denver. Ultimately, what it'll do is, is reduce people's confidence in in the state getting business done. Wasserman also filed a campaign finance complaint against a group that donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to support the measure, saying it should reveal its donors. It is ironic that an organization that does not want to be transparent is talking about the need for transparency. Nonpartisan researchers at the Capitol do not know how much custodial funds would be impacted, In addition to emergency funds, passage of Amendment 78 would also give state lawmakers the final word on spending for legal settlements, transportation funds, and even gifts to colleges and universities. Can you imagine how much longer and more technical the process will be if they now have to allocate and appropriate every single custodial dollar. And that's a concern for some in a state where wildfires, road-crushing mudslides, and other emergencies pop up when the legislature is out of session. Financial analysts estimate they would have to spend an extra $1 million annually for lawmakers to take on the new responsibilities. Fields thinks it could be done without the gridlock Wasserman fears.
4: They can give power back to the governor, for example, and say, look, this amount of money, if it comes in for an emergency, you can go and spend that, or they can come back for a a special session.
3: Lawmakers passed a bipartisan law last year requiring governors to give them regular updates on how emergency dollars are being spent. But some Republicans, including Representative Hugh McKean of Loveland, want to go further. He led the efforts to scale back Governor Polis's emergency powers. There is a necessity to bring the legislature in to do its job, which is to craft the laws and rules for the state. McKean says Amendment 78 would also end what he calls slush funds that get spent without any public input. As an example, he points to the state health department spending a $68 million legal settlement from automaker Volkswagen for its role in an emissions scandal. And in the end, some of that money went to pay for car chargers in places like the Target parking lot right here in Loveland. Um, There haven't been any cars charging at the Target car charging station since it was built. And so a lot of people are asking, well, hold on, who made the decision to spend those dollars in that way? And of course, the legislature didn't. There was no organized opposition to Amendment 78 when the state voter guide was mailed out. But legislative analysts have heard concerns from the governor's office and the attorney general. Months before conservatives gathered more than 100,000 signatures to get it on the ballot, Governor Polis was already dismissing attempts to rein in his emergency powers.
4: It's a good, thoughtful discussion in a democracy. I mean, if you're going to go that route, you need to have a full-time legislature. There's no question. Our our legislature is a a part-time legislature. Many folks don't
3: know that. They have other jobs. Because it would make changes to the Constitution, the amendment to give lawmakers more control over spending would have to pass with at least 55% of voters supporting it. I'm Scott Franz.
1: And if, like me, you're still in the process of filling out your ballot, you can find more of our reporting about the other statewide questions, Propositions 119 and 120, at our website, KUNC.org. On September 21st, the Fort Collins City Council voted to approve a new landmark designation on 308 Cherry Street. The house was once home to Virgil Thomas, the first known African-American to graduate from a Fort Collins high school. This house will be Fort Collins' first historical landmark that recognizes the city's Black history. Of course, Virgil Thomas was just one of many people of color who have contributed to life and culture in northern Colorado, but many are hopeful that this new landmark status will serve as a stepping stone to elevating more diverse stories from Fort Collins history. To learn a bit more about this historical designation and its larger impact, we're joined by the homeowner and lawyer Kim Baker-Medina. Kim, thank you for joining us today.
0: Yes, thanks for having us, Sarah.
1: And we're also joined by a member of Fort Collins BIPOC Alliance core team, Rashida Perez. Uh, Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Let me start with you, Kim. Tell us how you first learned that the house you own on 308 Cherry Street was of such significance.
0: Well, actually, when we purchased the house, my husband and I, in 2013, we reached out to the city of Fort Collins to find out if it had historical significance. And interestingly enough, at that point, the city told us it did not. Because the city was looking at um, historical significance in a different way. So they were primarily looking at was it um, architecturally important or unique and things like that. Um, And then this past year during Black History Month, uh, the city contacted us and told us that our home would be part of a Black History Month tour. Um, because it had been the home of one of the early um, African-American families in Fort Collins. So that was really exciting to us um, to learn the history of the house and also to see that the city had shifted their definition of what was important historically um, and what was significant. And so we, uh, my mother and I actually walked the the tour. And when we walked the tour, um, we noticed that um, several of the other houses on the tour were no longer there that they had been um, knocked down or, um, you know, knocked over and and no longer were there. And so that um, got us to thinking about how we could help to preserve the history of our house. And we reached out to um, people in the city of Fort Collins and Historic Preservation to see about landmarking that property so that we could help to um, preserve the history of the Thomas family and contribute to the history of the neighborhood.
1: So once you discovered the house was once home to Virgil Thomas, what have you learned about his life and upbringing? Did, did you go and dig, dig around for more information?
0: The city of Fort Collins actually did um, the research and they did a great job on that. They researched um, not just the Thomas family, but a lot of the families that lived in that neighborhood. But Virgil Thomas, um, from what we've been told, was the first African-American student to graduate from Fort Collins High School um, and um, was an athlete Um, participated, played football at Fort Collins High School, and then um, also played in a baseball league in the city of Fort Collins. He um, graduated and got a scholarship, uh, college scholarship, and later joined the military. Um, And um, so it's an interesting history. And it's interesting when you read about not just the Thomas family, but about the other families in the neighborhood and what life was like and really important to keep in mind also like what was going on in the city of Fort Collins at that time we had a we had a huge clan presence Um, you know Fort Collins even up until the 60s was white trade only in downtown and these um homes are just a few blocks from downtown so I think it's really important for us to remember um what life was like then and look at what life is like now um for, for people in Fort Collins and for communities of color.
1: Right. Rashida, uh, I understand you work with the BIPOC Alliance core team in Fort Collins. Tell us a bit about that and uh, how and why you came to work
2: there. I'm happy to. Um, At BIPOC Alliance, we have worked to do so many things for um, the BIPOC community, Um, not focusing on any one particular community, but focusing on BIPOC communities who are um, regularly unseen and left, um, you know, to be unheard and, and uncared for. Um, we worked to help get uh, Northern Coloradans of color vaccinated um, in the height of the pandemic um, because we are all very aware of the, um, the issues that people of color have with government in, in our bodies medically and, um, and very valid issues. Uh, however, we did help to get so many <laughs> people of color vaccinated. Um, We also work with businesses of color, um, supporting them and uh, highlighting them and, you know, just trying to get them the support they need. We uh, work with mental health. Uh, We have 15 scholarships that we're about to release um, for mental health, for BIPOC people who uh, self-identify as needing, you know, uh, mental support. And as you know, over the pandemic, we were all in need of a little mental support. (laughs) Uh, um, And a lot of our issues, or a lot of our BIPOC issues were unearthed and very hard-lived, uh, during that pandemic. And so we are, you know, caring for our people. Um, BIPOC Alliance is rooted in joy. And that is what brought me to BIPOC Alliance. Um, we are also very aware of um, our history, uh, how we've been treated, our ancest- the things that our ancestors had to deal with, the trauma that still exists within us. And li- we live that experience every day. But what brought me to BIPOC Alliance is the fact that we are rooted in joy. We have communi- monthly community um, ceremonies that heal us as a community on uh, using ancestral in- indigenous excuse me using ancestral indigenous um, practices and rooting us to the very land we stand on. Um, these practices are so important to you know keep alive all of the the stories like Kim just said you know the homes uh, of the African American or Black people that lived in Fort Collins were a lot of them were knocked down so they don't exist anymore. Keeping any ancestral um, or um, or historical value is so important to us because so much of it has already been torn down. Uh, So BIPOC Alliance is working to preserve that and to support communities of color.
1: That's the first part of our conversation with Rashida Perez and Kim Baker Medina about the historic Virgil Thomas House in Fort Collins. In a moment, we'll hear why this landmark status is so meaningful and talk about other ways to honor the city's diverse history. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Last month, the Fort Collins City Council approved a new landmark designation for a home that once belonged to Virgil Thomas. Thomas was the first known African-American to graduate from a Fort Collins high school. And his house is Fort Collins' first historical landmark that recognizes the city's black history. We're speaking with the current homeowner of the house, Kim Baker Medina, and Rashida Perez, a member of Fort Collins BIPOC Alliance Corps. BIPOC stands for Black Indigenous People of Color.
2: Rashida, why
1: do you think it is that this is the first landmark in the city that recognizes Black history in Fort Collins?
2: Unfortunately for me, it's not surprising. Um, So much of our... Our history, like we just said, had been has been suppressed or hidden. Um, America doesn't want us to believe that we're supposed to be here, um, and we absolutely do. And that's why uh, Mr. Thomas's house and the preservation of that is so important to Black history. Um, my family and I—just a little personal story. My family and I moved here from Southern California. I was—I'm a born and raised San Diegan. And um, we moved to Fort Collins and I, we, gosh, we've been here about seven years. And I've got to tell you that until um, I learned about Mr. Thomas's home and the preservation, I never felt rooted here. I never felt welcome. Um, Despite the fact that I am raising two small children in the Poudre school district. And I'm very active within that school district um and um i'm also a small business owner and i'm very rooted in the uh, business community and i still very much felt like i'm an invader here mr thomas's house really brought me to feel or really made me feel like we are supposed to be here we were meant to be here um and uh that's a, that's a huge thing for myself and my family and i'm trying to keep my emotions in check here <laughs> Well, Kim,
1: I'm wondering what the process is like of getting a house to be named a historic landmark, and why do you feel landmark status is so important?
0: The process is actually um, fairly simple. Um, I think a lot of people are hesitant because they feel like it's going to lower their property values or somehow um, impact their their home or their investment, but um, but it doesn't. In fact. Um, properties retain their their value when they're landmarked and you can still make improvements and you can even get assistance if you need help um, with, uh, with restoration and things like that. Um, and if at least in Fort Collins, I think the city is very supportive and really pretty much walked us through it. To kind of follow up on what Rashida was saying, I think that unfortunately, um, our legacy in this country is that um, we have done historical preservation in the way that we have taught history, which is that um, we teach the history of, of white people and we teach the history of wealthy people. And they are considered important um, and they are considered leaders. And um, our historic presence we don't teach the history of working class people and we don't teach the history of, of people of color or, or of those leaders, right? And those important people. And unfortunately, I think our preservation has taken that same track so that we have preserved significant stately um, mansions of, of former mayors, right? and of, And of bankers and things like that. But we haven't preserved communities of color And we haven't preserved the communities of working class people. And we haven't taught their history. And I also think that it's really important um, as we see our communities become gentrified. Fort Collins, like a lot of our um, front range communities, is becoming increasingly gentrified. And gentrification um, can often erase um, communities of color and working class communities and their history. And so I think that as we see gentrification happening in our communities, we need to be really cognizant of what we are taking over and what we are knocking down. And I think that um, landmark preservation can be a tool for communities to um to prevent gentrification from erasing their history.
1: Landmark status, of course, is just one pathway to preserving these stories. What are some other ways we can better remember and honor the history of of people of color in Fort Collins?
2: Thank you, by the way, for asking that question. I think that we need to elevate, Those are here, those who are here currently. I think that we need to, first of all, teach real history. Um, Second of all, um, you know, encourage our CSU students. CSU students come from everywhere and they are um, pioneers in every aspect. We need to um, uh, celebrate them. And secure them staying here, um, and part of that is preserving the history and teaching them the history of, um, you know, the fact that pretty much all races have always been here. Um, we need to make a very welcoming environment and um, and support businesses of color. The reason, one of the reasons why. Um, his, People of color are not celebrated, and Black people in particular are not celebrated, is because they are um, systematically held down uh, financially um, and and so forth and with education as well. And so, uh, by elevating businesses of color, um, by elevating children of color, we are um, we are allowing and um, aiding in the progress of that um you know that potential wealth that potential um business structure and um you know assistance to the community because um when businesses are booming when businesses are doing well um they hire right and that helps the entire community um so you know i think that um Paying more attention to local businesses of color and local students of color, and giving them more support, whether it be um, financial or um, you know mental health wise, um, creating a healthy environment is definitely going to be important, as well as um, preserving the history, um, and then once again rooting us here, um, despite the fact that um, you know the white supremacists. Uh, history tried to erase us.
1: We are talking with Kim Baker Medina, the owner of the house that was once home to Fort Collins' first African-American high school graduate, and Rashida Perez, a member of Fort Collins' BIPOC Alliance core team. Rashida, you just mentioned, you know, preserving the history. Kim, I wanted to ask you if you could describe the home as Virgil Thomas knew it, and how are you preserving that history in the house now?
0: Um, So the... The house is typical of um, what the whole neighborhood was actually filled with these little houses. It's very small. It's about 800 square feet. It did not have indoor plumbing. Um, And so um, there was an outhouse out in the back. um, And that was when the Thomas family was there. And then for the families that came afterwards, it was um, much later that it got um, indoor plumbing. And it's really, the house kind of looks like a child's drawing of a house. So it's a little square with a door in the middle and a window on each side. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's small and it's simple. Um, and you know, when you go in you think about how, how people, um, how those communities lived in, and there were entire families in this very small space, um, living together and, and, and eating and cooking and, um, doing all of these, all of these things. So, um, it's, uh, we have, it's all, has all the original windows and floors, the original lath and plaster we had to cover up, um, because it was, um was pretty in bad shape, but we just, we left it intact. We just covered it with some thin drywall. um, And um, you can really tell um, what it looked like. It still pretty much looks the same.
1: Well, I want to pose this question to both of you. And um, Kim, I'll just start with you. What is the biggest takeaway from the landmark status for the Virgil Thomas house?
0: So, uh, boy, I, I think there's a lot of things. I think one is what we talked about earlier, that making sure that um, when we tell our history, we tell everyone's history. I think it's important um, for those of us who want to be allies to communities of color that we give communities of color the space to tell their stories. And so that doesn't just mean um, space to talk about but also physical space and, and preserving that physical space so that, so that um, communities can tell, tell their stories. So I think that that um, for me is a really important takeaway.
1: And Rashida, what about for you, the biggest takeaway from this landmark status or, you know, what else might this lead to?
2: Um, my biggest takeaway uh, from this landmark status is um, I, I am grateful to you, Kim, for, you know, um, being um, open to this to this process and to preserving this home for the black community. Um, I. I hope and wish that there are more people like you, um, and I, I honestly, uh, it gives me hope for um, you know Black Americans and people of color um, to root ourselves more in Fort Collins, um, to feel more secure in our space here, um, and to feel more willing to speak up and to uh, be more able to purchase property and hopefully on Cherry Street. Um, I'd love to see us there again. Um, and uh, I, I see a future where our voices are heard um, and beyond being heard, I see a future for my children and for children of color, um, you know, feeling, or not feeling, actually truly being equal. And when Kim said, um, you know, when we, uh, teach history, um, we need to teach everyone's history. And I agree. And I think a big part of that is teaching true history and not suppressing, um, you know, the unsavory. We don't like to hear it, but it happened. And the best way that we learn to not repeat history is to learn about it. Um, and, and it's, probably why we're in the shape we're in right now is because we tried to avoid it and now we're having to deal with it again. So um, I think it's important that this home is um, being preserved um, and I, I look forward to, to seeing more and learning more about Black history in Fort Collins.
1: Kim Baker Medina is a lawyer and homeowner of the historic Virgil Thomas Home. And Rashida Perez is a member of Fort Collins BIPOC Alliance core team. Thank you both so much for being here today.
2: Thank you, Erin. Thank you for having me.
1: That's our show for today. Tomorrow on Colorado Edition, we'll take a look at an expanded program in Larimer and Jackson counties that seeks alternatives to hold people accountable for low-level offenses in a way that diverts them from the criminal justice system. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman, Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thank you so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.